you know, just this last year, just how things are happening and, and how people are growing and deepening their relationship with the Lord. And um, I want to speak a little bit about His presence today. Um, so the last two weeks, uh, we were actually at the privilege of joining a few um, people in church. Um, we were at two weddings the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, it was uh, Jennifer and Godfrey. And last night, I literally came back this morning. Most of us were there on staff as well. Uh, Dylan and Marlia got married yesterday. So they, I don't know if this one is recorded, but let's just give them all a round of applause. Um, celebrate them. Young people, amazing young people, truly just living their lives full on for the Lord. Um, and we just celebrate them. Uh, I don't know if they hear this one on the recording. I'll say it in the next one as well. But why I'm speaking about them is just I was so aware of the fact, um, just our God's presence and as we've been sharing, just how He's moving here in our, in our midst, in our services and the words that are coming, but just how, how He just moves everywhere. And I was so aware of the fact that even yesterday at that wedding that we were at, we were in this old uh, church, uh, in church there in McGregor, beautiful building. You can walk in there and you can really feel there's something different here. And then just filling that place with worship and, and a special occasion like a wedding, um, just going all out for the Lord, worshiping Him. It was amazing to experience His presence at a ceremonial gathering like that. And I'm just so aware of that His presence is everywhere. So as we saw this morning even, um, we can have things planned perfectly. Um, I think last week even words came and we, a few weeks ago words came and we started praying for people and then we prayed for, for Ukraine and, and long story short, a long time went past in that. You can have your set plans in motion. You can have your pro- program perfectly planned. But when the Lord comes and, he, and His Holy Spirit leads us and His presence guides us and we press into that, our plans um, change. <laughs> And we'll speak about that a bit later. You see, we experience the Lord. I'm so aware that we experience the Lord in so many different ways. Um, Many of us, we experience Him at church gatherings like this, worship gatherings, prayer gatherings. For many of us, that's the only place that we, we do really experience Him. But for a lot of us, in nature even, we experience Him. Just driving to the ocean, sitting next to the sea. Uh, we experience His presence when we see His glory, when we look at creation that He made. Uh, many of us, we spend time in the mountains. Um, we like to go running in the mountains or just walking in the mountains. And um, I was also just aware this morning, just on the drive here, coming back from, from McGregor, driving through Robertson, just those little paths and, and through the farms. And the, I just experienced the Lord in such an, such an amazing way. And it's different for many people. But what is evident for me is that the presence of the Lord is real. And it's not only real, it's dynamic. It's ever moving, it's ever changing, and it changes the very atmosphere that we find ourselves in. It touches our hearts, it touches our minds, it touches the way we think, and it elicits this heavenly response from His children. And Today I want us to take a deeper look at the significance of God's presence in our lives and, and just the sheer transformational impact that it has on us as his children, but then also I want us to look at just how we as his children must respond to his presence. And the key scripture that I'm going to read today is in Mark 4 verse 35 to 41. I'm going to start reading and I'll give some background afterwards. And it says, on that day, when the evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now then they had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. 
and a great windstorm arose, and the wind and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now just a little background of the scenario. As Jesus was teaching the whole day, they were at the sea, and, and obviously a long time has passed. He was doing miracles and healings, and he was tired. So he got his disciples together and said, let's get the boat, um, and let's cross the seaside. This was happening at night. Um, and Jesus himself, he, he went to rest. Although he was um, fully God, he's still fully man, he was resting. And he was resting in the stern of the boat, the bottom back part of the boat. Incidentally, the stern is the place where the captain usually rests. Um, but that was Jesus resting in that boat. And then what happens um, while Jesus is resting, this massive storm starts brewing outside. Um, now, many of Jesus' disciples were professional fishermen. So I can only assume that many of them had their fair share of being on a boat and being in stormy waters, and I, I'm sure many of them have experienced storms of many kinds. But when we read this scripture, so I can only assume that just before they went to, to call Jesus, they probably in their power tried everything they could do that they knew that they could do, because the scripture tells us that the water was beating into the boat. Um, so this was probably something that they were not used to. It's, it's a little bit bigger than the usual southeaster that they know. And then they go to Jesus after everything that they probably have tried. And then when we see the scripture, when we read it, there are so many takeaways from it. Obviously, the first being that Jesus is the one that calms our storm. Jesus is the one that provides, that has power and authority over the winds and the waves. Um, and Jesus is the one that calms the storms in our lives. And we, are, we can run to him in our travel times. Jesus is the one that we should run to first. But something that is more prevalent for me when reading the scripture and, and upon uh, just praying to the Lord and asking him to show me what, what he wants to reveal through this is just his presence, the centrality of Jesus in the story, not, not just in the story as the one who calms the winds and the waves in the middle of the storm, but as the one that's in the boat. Just the centrality and the, the authority that Jesus has and the power that he has just carries such a weight when you read the story. See, we, we can clearly see our creation response to God's presence because what, what the disciples did not know in that instance, they were not fully aware yet. When we read the end of that scripture, we'll get back to it. Um, we read there that the disciples still had this question, who is this man that calms the winds and the waves? They did not fully comprehend who they had with them in that boat. They had the very presence of God with them in that boat. And when we realize that in our lives, our earthly thoughts are moved and challenged. And our response has become awe-inspired and faith-filled. We experienced that this morning as we, as we shared, as we spent more time in the Lord's presence, as we shared. Something happens in us. We become faithful to some that might look like actually hearing from the Lord because you're really trusting Him and He's giving you a word to share with the church. For some of us, it's by simply putting our hands up because we need prayer for our back. 
We become faithful and it inspires a heavenly response within us, His children. Now, Scripture also reveals to us that the Lord's thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are much higher and His ways are much higher. So I, in my human ways, I'm going to try and, and give us a little bit of a framework of sorts of, comprehend, of comprehending the vastness um, just of what the presence of the Lord is. And the first point that I want to speak about is just the preeminent, uh, preeminence of His presence. You see, His presence surpasses time, it surpasses logic, and it takes immediate precedence, uh, precedence and supersedes the plans of man. It, it cannot be forced. If the glory of the Lord comes in our worship services, a three-song set list might become an hour long. Amen. Come to the worship evening tonight. His presence is the, it's the preeminent manifestation of God's glory in our midst. It touches us on a deeper level. We become aware. It evokes a heavenly response from his people and our plans and our programs. They, they bow down at the feet of Jesus in the midst of his presence. He is glorified through what is going on in this place. See, the Lord's presence changes the atmosphere. In Mark 4 verse 39, that's the last part of that scripture. It says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus, amid this great and mighty storm that filled the boat with water, uttered those few words. Fully man, yet fully God. The winds and the seas obeyed him. The authority and the power that he carries, that his presence carries, brings the very elements of this world of creation to obedience. We read in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 12 to 14. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant is carried into the temple of Solomon. And I'm just going to read from the last few verses. And the Levites who were the singers, all those, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, harps, and with them 120 priests sounding the trumpets. That's an amazing worship team. Um, yo. That's an amazing worship team. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, were as one, to make one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, "For He is good; for His mercy endures forever." That the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now, as the Ark of the Covenant, it represented the very presence of God. As the Ark of the Covenant was carried into this building, and the worshippers, the people, were with one heart, one mind, one accord, focusing on Him and who He is. Something happened. A cloud filled that place. The glory of the Lord, His presence filled that place. It changed the very atmosphere to such an extent that they could not go on with their normal ceremonial proceedings. That's amazing. I don't know about you, but I would love it if church goes like that. Amen? <laughs> when the presence of the Lord is revealed, His glory fills His place and His presence becomes preeminent. It takes 
forefront. Everything goes underneath it. Directly after Jesus' miracle, that miracle calming the storms, we further read in Mark 5, the very next chapter, the famous chapter of the demon-possessed man called Legion. And then just as they arrived, as they came ashore, this man, Scripture tells the whole story. You can read it in Mark 5. He was living in the caverns, but from a distance, when Jesus landed, when Jesus got there, from a distance, something in this demon-possessed man responded to the presence It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. He never met Jesus. He's never seen him before in his life. The first time he sees him, he responds. Even the the spiritual realm is aware and affected by the presence of the Lord and bows down. His presence takes preeminence. Another aspect is the Lord's presence, it brings wholeness. You see, the disciples experienced this after a miracle. Now, when you read it at first, after that miracle, at first it won't make sense because they still questioned who Jesus is. They did not fully comprehend who they had with them in that boat. But the presence of the Lord brings wholeness because why? Because what Jesus has done in their midst, what he'd done before them, calming that storm, he was beginning a work in their hearts. He was starting something in their hearts. In his presence, we are redeemed. In his presence, we are restored. In his presence, we are renewed. We are strengthened. We've experienced that this morning. I've experienced it this weekend. Just how God's presence brings, brings forth just the best in every situation. It gives us peace. It gives us purpose. It gives us joy. In Psalm 16, verse 11, David writes, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are your pleasures forever. There are pleasures forever. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. You see, Scripture also reveals that in God's presence, our identity and our purpose is established. I want to describe three situations. The first one, Moses at the burning bush, a then shepherd in God's presence at the burning bush gets called to lead God's people out of captivity into freedom. Such a high calling. He even doubted himself in that piece of scripture, saying, who am I? God comes and says, I am who I am is with you. He restores him because his identity was not a good identity in himself. God tells him, I chose you. We read further also in scripture in Elijah, uh, when Elijah was on the mountain, Elijah was fleeing from, from persecution and he's fleeing for his life from Jezebel and, and As he was, he was an old man, and as he was on that mountain, we read, and this is in in 1 Kings 19, that a massive storm came, and in that storm was an earthquake, there was a wind, there was fire, I mean, storms, biblical times, storms were the thing to teach people something. And he was in this state of uh, self, he was uh, having a lot of self-pity, he was uh, experiencing a lot of doubt in his own life, Um, He was afraid, full of doubt. Scripture even tells us that he wanted to die. What does the Lord do? 
His presence is there and he comes and, and it tells us that he was a still, calm voice speaking to him. Knowing what he needs to be restored, the Lord meets him in that place knowing how to respond to him in his presence. He not only restores him and renews him in that place, but he also gives him three new assignments to do. He gives him a new purpose and a new calling in his presence. In Acts 19, Paul then saw on the Damascus road, experiences the presence of the Lord, struck with blindness, immediately knows it's the Lord. A man persecuting Christians, now living fully for the call and the purpose of the cross and what Jesus has done in the presence. Another aspect of the presence is that the Lord's presence is with his people. You see, in that boat, he was with his disciples and they ran to him for help. And although they did not fully understand who was with them, his presence was there. They had the very presence of God on that boat. In that storm, God was with us since the beginning of time, since the beginning of creation. He was with Adam and Eve. He was with Moses. We read in Exodus 33 verse 14, and he said, my presence, uh, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. David wrote in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8, and this is a scripture so close to my heart. Just go and read it. Psalm 38, uh, 139, verse 7 to 8, just speaks on so many different levels of just how God's character is and just how he works. Verse 7 to 8 just says, Where can I go from your spirit? says David. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. There's no way we can go that his presence is not. It's there. It's with us. It's with his people. His presence goes before us. His presence goes behind us. It goes with us in the day. It goes with us in the night. Wherever we gather in his name, he is there. With our hearts and our minds focused on the kingdom, on his word, on his character, and what he has done for us, we experience his presence here with us. Like we're doing now, like we did in our time of worship, we were so focused on him. And that's why many times when we, when we do worship, your, your worship leader, a good thing to do as a worship leader is to just take some time for everyone just to gather your thoughts to gather your thoughts, to clear your mind, clear your heart, and just to bring everything into alignment, into focus of what, what is happening here and now, why we are here and now. So many times we just want to go in, all out, just go and sing, and it's amazing. But sometimes we, we first have to just bring our thoughts and our, our minds and our alignment into the Lord's thoughts, His alignment, His presence in this place. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus himself encourages us with this powerful scripture where he says, For two or three, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. It's as simple as that. Where we gather together in unison as his children, one mind, one accord, as they said in, in the scripture in Chronicles, they were as one. Where we gather together, he is there in our midst. He is here in our midst today. 
Our very gathering as church is built upon this foundation on the word foundation came up so much this morning. Praise God for that. But the, our very gathering as a church is built on this foundational um, supposition, this foundational, uh, what's the word that I'm really looking for here? This foundational promise that the Lord's presence is in our midst. He's here with us. We are gathered in unity and He is here with us today. Emmanuel God with us. The Lord's presence is not only with us, but also now resides in us, His people. How often do the storms of life toss us to and fro? Now, our storms might look different. The waves that have come crashing down, some of us feel like we have tidal waves. Some of us just have little droplets. But whatever it is, we do face storms in this life. And those storms fill our boats. But as God's children, we have the captain in our boats. We have the one in our boats that calms the storm. The winds and the waves obey him. The winds and the waves obey him in his presence. When we have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have received his spirit. Jesus so powerfully encourages us as, his, uh, uh, that he, as he this encourages his disciples that when his physical presence is no longer with us, he will leave someone for us. He will leave his spirit with us. In John 14, verse 15 to 17, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth from whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Chris, thank you for that. Amen. Chris brought that word this morning said Parakletos, our helper, our comforter in this instance, our counselor, the one that is standing in the gap for us, defending us, the one that is um, doing the work as the one that is pleading our case. The one that is preeminent, above all, is working in us. He redeems us and he restores us. The very spirit of the living God, the, the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in us. The Apostle Paul so, so clearly explained this concept to the church. And the first scripture is in 1 Corinthians 3.16. And here he's referring to the local church, let's say to our church maybe, just to give some context. He says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he's speaking to the individual. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? And then in Ephesians 2, verse 19 to, 20, to 22, he's referring to the universal church the body of Christ, and he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God is building his church because he wants to dwell in his church. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. God, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us is alive in us. As his children, how should we respond? Our response should not look like towards the end where the disciples still questioned. It should be more like running to Jesus, but they didn't do that fully understanding who he was, our response should probably look more like something like this. Moses' response in God's presence in Exodus 34, verse 5 to 6. He's going up the mountain, and you can go read the whole account just of the the glory that filled that place. That must have been amazing. You can build so many messages just around that scripture. If you want to read about the presence of God, go read that scripture, Exodus 34. I'm just going to go from verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in his goodness and truth. Here's Moses' response. Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Our response to his presence is worship. See, Moses' response in God's presence was one of reverence. Made haste. He knew this was so important. The first thing he needs to do is bow down and worship God. See, when we, are, when we come together, and, and if, we read further, so if we read further, it actually tells us Moses' face shone. It shined like my forehead is shining here in this light. Um, Mo- Moses' face shone more than that. It also tells us that he didn't eat or drink for 40 days. Who of us can go without food for one day? Don't answer that. See, that response of worship, allowing God to speak to him, allowing him to transform him, to, uh, to, to transform him, he didn't eat or drink for 40 days. God's presence Our response to God's presence should be like Moses, in reverence. Our worship and our devotion towards him, we must allow it to transform us. If you look at the upper room outpouring in Acts 2, it tells us, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. One accord together, being in agreement as the body of Christ, having one mind and one purpose. Scripture tells us they were speaking about things of the church, um, putting things into place for the church of that day. So they were actually literally speaking church about church, but they were together with one mind, one purpose in one accord, agreeing. agreeing. The Lord's presence came. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. 
We are to be expectantly aware of the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do in our services, in our times, in his presence, in our quiet times. And allow him to work. And we must press in. Sometimes we need to press in. Pressing in, you hear, you hear that. Let's say, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's press in. It's trusting more that we are going to have an encounter with the Lord. Being expectant of having that encounter with Him. In our times of prayer, in our times of worship. Let's not just sing songs on a Sunday. And I'm speaking to myself here as well. Let's not just come and sing these songs and get through them, get through the word and do the right thing. Let's just, some of us, we know we, we, we're enjoying these songs. It's really making us feel good. And that's okay. When we sing about the Lord, it must make you feel good. But it's more than that. Let's bow down in worship. We were at our, our church's annual conference um, a few weeks back, and the one guy, Langa, he's a worship leader. He had this, he challenged me so much as a worship leader. He said, you people, sometimes you just say, we bow down in worship. When you sing it like this, we bow down in worship. We don't bow down in worship. I was so stirred by that. Now, no, it's not always possible for us, and not all of us are there. And if you trust God, He will bring you there. Let's bow down and worship the Lord in His presence. Do our outward responses reflect the inward transformation of what His presence is doing in this place? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. The same. His presence dwells in this place, and it's not because of this building. It's not because of how amazing this band sounds in worship. It's not because of the eloquence or the, the amazing, what's the other word I've got here, the articulation of the pastor, how he preaches the word. It's not about the quality of our production. We have an amazing production quality here. We have two cameras. It's not about the amazing coffee, although many of us might think that. So many times we think we have to follow certain steps, apply certain rules and concepts or adhere to certain rules and boundaries in our times together in worship for the Lord to come and for the Lord to come and do a work in our midst. How can we be of so little faith? Jesus gives us clear instruction on the standard of worship that he desires and it says in John 4, this is the account we all know so well, the Samaritan woman. And from verse 25, he says to this woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now, is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit, in truth. God is spirit. If we, if we want God's presence in our times of worship, our hearts must reflect that. Our worship should not and cannot be bound by time or place. 
True worship is not about ceremony or doing specific things at specific times, starting with a praise song, going into a better praise song, into a worship song, then the Lord's going to pitch. I myself have to challenge myself with that mindset so many times. It's found in the truth, in the Son of Jesus, the Son Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was raised from death, overcoming death, sitting on the right hand with the Father, by worshiping from a place where we know God is spirit and we worship Him in spirit and truth, not bound by place or time, having our hearts and our minds and our thoughts all aligned in one accord with what He has done for us on the cross. That is when we will experience His presence. We read in James 4 verse 10, I'm almost done. Quite simply put, our response to the presence of the Lord should be one of humility. Knowing that He is God, He is holy, He is above all things, He is King, He is sovereign, He is Lord. He is the Creator. We are His creation. We bow down at His feet. James tells us in James 4 verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. I'm going to end and I want to ask the band to come up. I want to end off with this quote. Greg Rochelle, he's a very famous author and he's a pastor of Life Church. He's also the, the founder, of the, the church is the founder of the most downloaded Bible app in the world. Many of us have it, the, the Version Bible app. He said this, Profound word. This, he had this profound thing to say. This, this quote that I found yesterday. It was, I was so thankful that it's relating to my message. I don't always like to quote people, but this for me is good. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. His presence takes preeminence. His presence is with us. His presence is in us. His presence establishes our purposes and calling. And His presence instills and elicits a heavenly response from His children. So I want us to respond. Let's stand and let's all just close our eyes for a few moments. Maybe where you are standing or if you are sitting, that's okay. But maybe where you are now, you can just think of the storm that you are in. The storm that is filling your boat. I'm just becoming so aware of the presence of the Lord here now. Now become aware of the fact that you have the captain that calms the storm in your boat. You have the one in your boat that commands the winds and the seas to quiet down. Maybe we must become like the winds and the seas for a change and be obedient to his presence. The one who goes before us and behind us. The one who restores and renews us. 
makes us whole is with us. As the band ministers to us, I just want us to become aware of the Lord's presence for a few moments and respond in your heart. sang this morning and maybe you can take it up in Revelations 12 verse 10 and 11 it has happened at last the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down to earth the one who accuses our brethren and our sisters before our God day and night and they have been defeated by the blood of the Lamb and because of Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that you are the healer. Thank you, Father, that you, you are God. We bow down at your feet. 
We stand in awe as Moses did, Lord. We make haste and we bow in worship at the King, at our God, who heals, who restores. Thank you for what you have done today in this place, Lord. I pray that you will just continue to speak to your children and minister to them, Lord. And experience your presence, the fullness and the joy that is in your presence. And you be exalted and glorified through all of this today in Jesus' name. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give God a, a praise. Amen. Um, and then just, we, we almost finished. Uncle Dave just wants to say something quickly. I just want to say a word or two of thanks to everyone. You have a wonderful spiritual home, and it's been good for us to be here. But we are leaving on Wednesday, so after all those years over in Ukraine, Russia, and Armenia, it's been a time of refreshing. So we thank God for that. Thank God for knowing you wonderful people. Thank you for your un un encouragement and blessing. And I pray that you all go from strength to victory, pressing on in Jesus' mighty name. Bless you. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome to grab a coffee. And if you want prayer, we will pray with you. Um, you can ask maybe one or two facilitators also.